Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, I was ready to ask Marianne, my wife, to marry me. I had the engagement ring all picked out and purchased. Marianne's brother, Kenny, was dating Sharon at the time. But before I could ask Marianne to marry me, Kenny asked Sharon to marry him. And the diamond engagement ring that he gave to Sharon was bigger than the ring that I was going to give to Marianne. And that bothered me. That bothered me. Why? Why? Well, guys like to have bragging rights, right? Bigger, shinier, more expensive. Uh, listen, I hate to tell you this, but that happens to guys in ministry too. You go to pastors' conferences, and you'll find pastors are constantly sizing each other up. Hey, I wonder how big his church is. Now we don't come out and ask each other those point blank questions, but we have our ways. Hey, how many square feet does your building have? How many staff are on your team? How large is your mission's budget? And all these questions are designed to be indirect ways for pastors to look at how big the other pastor's engagement ring is. <laughs> and it's as though that we're saying that the, great, the, the greatness of a church is measured by its seating capacity. Because we turn everything to a numbers game, a bigger and better game. But the Bible teaches something radically different. What we learn from the Bible and what we learn from the book of Acts is that the greatness of church is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Because it's not the size of the diamond that matters, right? It's the love in the heart, right? Well, you can measure the love for Jesus in the heart of a church, not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Open your Bibles today to Acts chapter 13. We're in our series, Voyage, and today we're looking at Two chapters that encompass, encompass the very first literal overseas voyage. The first official missionary journey of the great spiritual leader, Paul. Uh, and Pastor Chad today has been a little bit mean to me because he's given me two chapters to cover. This is 80 verses, people. Uh, I've got to try to talk through today, so I'm going to do my best. I'm going to actually read both chapters. And as we do that, I want you to remember... The greatness of a church does not lie in its what? Seating capacity. It lies in its sending capacity. And then I want you to ask yourself a question. Where does the Lord want to send me? Where does the Lord want to send me? All right. Listen fast. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, church in Antioch, it's north of Israel, in Syria. It's a model church for us today. They had this multicultural mix of leaders. Now, notice what happens when they gather together. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they worship, they fast, and usually with fasting there's prayer, and then they hear from God. When a church hears from the Holy Spirit, He's going to send us on His mission. Verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, the church in Antioch doesn't send out the people that cannot get it done in ministry. They send their very best. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, this is Barnabas and Paul, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So you see here their strategy. Most ancient cities in the world in those days had these Jewish citizens who had set up synagogue worship. Paul and Barnabas first visit the Jewish 
people and proclaimed Christ to them. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately the mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now evidently Paul had not yet read how to win friends and influence people, <laughs> right? Because, you know, calling somebody the son of the devil, you son of the devil, and prophesying that he'd go blind is not exactly the evangelistic strategy that most of us want to use. Yet think about it. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit here when this happens. So the Holy Spirit can undoubtedly... Uh, cause us to say and do some surprisingly unorthodox things. Now, this doesn't give you Hillary fans the right to call down fire on Trump supporters. <laughs> or vice versa, right? This power encounter is for the purpose of advancing Christ's kingdom, not man's kingdom. So we ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can speak boldly when we encounter opposition to the faith. You know, a few years ago, I was in Russia near a city called Bryansk, and I met a young church planter there. And he said that the mayor of his village would not allow his church to have space to meet. And this young man, boldly, in, in kind of a pre-post-communist society, stood up to the mayor and said, you dare not stand in the way of God and His work, because Jesus said, I will build my church. A few days later, that mayor was dead. And when I was there, the church was meeting right on the main street of that town. What happens here in Acts? It's a miracle. Because of Paul's prophecy, a man was struck blind. And Josh gave us a definition of a miracle last week. It's an unusual outward sign that confirms a message from God. Uh, this was a sign that was used to draw someone to Christ. Look at what happens next, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. <laughs> when he saw what has occurred... For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I mean, so when Sergius Paulus sees what happens to Elymas, he believes, verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, now John also had another name, uh, which was Mark, and so John Mark left them. He left this mission on the front end of the trip, and we're not sure why. But this is significant, and we're going to see why it's significant in the last part of chapter 15. All right, back to verse 14 in Acts 13. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So these leaders in the synagogue are thinking, Hey, we've got some traveling guest rabbis with us today. Let's hear from them. And what we have next is the very first recorded missionary message in the Bible. Paul starts by giving a brief historical survey of the nation of Israel. Why? Because he wants to build some common ground. Verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. 
And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave him Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now what's happening? Paul's building common ground. He's letting these Jewish listeners know, I believe what you believe about this. And then he gives them a, like a 30,000 foot view of about 550 years of Jewish history. Now he turns this message to the person of Jesus. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, before Christ came, there's this guy named John. John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. I'm not Jesus. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Now notice what Paul's doing here. He's elevating Jesus. He's lifting Jesus higher and higher. He says that Israel had a famous prophet named John. And of course, this is John the Baptist. And John said, I'm not even worthy to shine the shoes of Jesus. I'm not even worthy to lace up his sneakers. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him or Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled those utterances of the prophets by condemning Jesus, condemning Him. And though they found in Him no, worthy, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a tomb. But God raised Him from the dead. But God raised Him from the dead. But God raised Him from the dead. All right, all right. That's good. There you go. <laughs> and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now witnesses to the people. So Paul tells how the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day rejected Jesus and therefore fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And then he tells how Jesus put to death on the cross, talks about the resurrection of Christ, how Jesus appeared to his followers. Now listen, if when you are talking to someone as a missionary, as a sent one, You've got to build common ground with people, but then you've got to pretty fast start talking about Jesus. You've got to talk about Jesus. And next what Paul is going to do is he's going to prove from the Old Testament to his Jewish audience that Jesus is indeed the resurrected Christ. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2.7. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Isaiah 55.3. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Psalm 16.10. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. His body decayed. But he whom God raised up, that's Jesus, did not see corruption. So Paul's given him three verses from the Jewish Old Testament that point to Jesus as the Son of God, as the heir to David's throne, and as the resurrected Holy One of Israel. Now he's ready for the application. He's ready to give them the so what for this message. So uh, I want you to read these two verses. They're going to be on the screen with me. Acts 13, 38, and 39. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So, do you want to be forgiven of all your sins? Believe in Jesus. <laughs> do you want to be declared innocent? Believe in Jesus. Do you want to be free from judgment? Believe in Jesus. And this doesn't happen because you keep the rules. You know you can't keep the rules and neither can I. Being set free from rule keeping, being forgiven, can only happen through Jesus. Now that wasn't just true then. That is true today. So say this next thing with me. Here we go. I'm forgiven. I'm free because of Jesus. Now, next we see a warning, a warning from the Jewish scriptures. This is from Habakkuk chapter 1. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, if you have the heart of a scoffer or a skeptic, you won't be able to see the work of God. You won't be able to hear the word of God. And that might be right where some of you are here today. I mean, I don't know why you're here, but maybe deep inside you're a scoffer, you're, 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 you're a skeptic. And you know what? If that's you, you're fulfilling prophecy. And you're going to miss out on the forgiveness and the freedom that come through Jesus. And so, you know, I will pray for you and you pray for yourself that God will give you a new heart, a soft heart, a believing heart. Verse 42, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told in the next Sabbath. They're hungry to hear more about forgiveness and freedom. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. In other words, don't try to save yourself through religion and rule keeping. Don't try to save yourself by doing more and trying harder. No. Believe you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, what Barnabas and Paul had said created a big-time buzz in Antioch and Pisidia. I don't know if it was like Wednesday's calves parade, but the whole city showed up here, it says. These guys made a big splash. This message made a big splash. Jesus made a big splash. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. See, these Jewish religious leaders, they can feel their influence just slipping away. And they had a week to think and to pick apart Paul's message and to pick apart Paul's character, and that's exactly what they did. Verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, the Jews first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a life for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, God never intended for the Jewish people only to know God. God, through the Jews, intended for salvation to be available to everyone on the face of the earth. And that's great news. That's great news for us because most of us are not Jewish people in this room today. And these non-Jewish folks responded the way we ought to respond. Look at this, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you are forgiven of your sins and are on the way to heaven, then here's why. You were appointed to eternal life. And just like those people in that day, 
we must rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. What is wrong with us that we're not happy to be saved? Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. When you share Jesus with people, you better expect some opposition. And what do you do? Well, you need to do like these guys. You go to the next neighbor, you go to the next neighborhood, you go to the next city, you look for other more responsive people. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, so far so good, but here comes the opposition again. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now opposition, that doesn't stop Barnabas and Paul. It just makes them more bold and God shows up to do more miracles. Verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Jews, Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So they don't just stay in one place when attempts are being made to take in their lives because they want to live uh, to tell Jesus to some other people on another day. They, but they don't run home. They move on to other places where people don't yet know Jesus. You know what they're going to? They're going to what we now call UPGs. They're going to unreached people groups. Now listen, the threat of persecution, it may redirect us, but it shouldn't stop us. We don't retreat. We don't retract. We don't retire. We regroup, we, we refocus, and we repeat this message that Jesus saves. And I just wonder sometimes, why is just a little ridicule in the neighborhood or just a little rejection at the office or a little misunderstanding at school stop us? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now I just wonder, should we be praying for people to be healed more? I think maybe so, because the gospel can travel pretty powerfully and pretty effectively when miracles happen. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lysaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing such things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you the good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now you'd think, with that kind of popularity, things would go very, very well for them in Lystra. But no. Verse 19. 
But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now think about this. Because he told people about Jesus, he was stoned. Now I'm not talking about smoking something. This is an ancient form of execution. This is death by being beaten with rock after rock hurled at you, cutting you, battering your body, your bones, and your skull. Now, how many rocks do you have to throw at somebody to kill them? I mean, how big do the rocks need to be? I mean, imagine yourself. I'm telling people about Jesus, and I'm, 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 I'm getting rocks thrown at me. Here's a guy who looks like he's dead. What are his friends and followers going to do? Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. See, I think the disciples not only gathered around him, I think they prayed over him. And why did they pray? Well, they believed what we learned last weekend from Pastor Josh. No matter the tragedy, the word of God keeps increasing and multiplying. God never abandons us even when it feels like it. God does miracles even when we don't expect it. God says prayers works even when we lack faith. 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now I want you to say that last phrase with me because I think we miss that sometimes in Western Christianity. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Let's say it again. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you think that following Jesus Christ in this world will make your life easier, then you need to think again. It'll make your life better, but it won't make your life easier. We're not living for comforts in this life, right? We're not living for that second house on the beach in South Carolina. When you follow Jesus, you're supposed to be carrying a cross. So say that with me again. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, Paul wanted those first century believers to get this. He's traveling back through towns where he planted churches with this message. And we need to get this too. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now think. These guys had gone to cities where they had no churches. Now there are churches. So the mission from the church in Antioch is a church planting mission. Every church you see was planted someday or one, one time by somebody. The church in Antioch was a church planting church. And I'm grateful that this is a church planting church. Sometimes you could call this the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes we call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You could call it the Acts of Missionaries. You could also call it the Acts of Church Planters. Because that's what's happening here. Verse 24, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, back home, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Missionary journey number one's over. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Two chapters, people. Two chapters. <laughs> All right. We've got 11 minutes and 45 seconds to go. <laughs> the church in Antioch got it. They didn't measure their success by their seating capacity. They measured their success by their sending capacity. 
sending capacity. And I'm so very glad that CVC is a sending church. We got room to grow in this area, but we have teams headed later this year to Indonesia, Ghana, El Salvador, Ukraine. Earlier this spring, we already sent teams to Indonesia, Appalachia, and Mexico. And today we want to celebrate what God did through our team in Mexico. My name is Joe Murphy. Aining Glace, Jim Sutton, in Espanol, Diego. My name is Ben Schreiber, and we just went to Semichique in Mexico on a mission trip. So we picked up a little bit of uh, Spanish. <laughs> what did we do in Samachique? I thought I was going there to help build a structure for the team to have a gymnasium or a exercise center. We built a little building for a, a resident mission family to have a place to live. Um, some people on the team have painted playground equipment and some people ventured out up into the hills and the mountains remote areas and saw remote living by the Tarahumara Indians. As God would have it, I went there and then did whatever he had in mind for me those days and very little of it was actually building the house. And I couldn't have been happier, I guess. I saw people that basically have sacrificed their regular lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go away from their everyday normal life and to help other people. On the second day, we took a, a little plane, a two-seater plane ride uh, to meet a similar team to the Medical Mexico team that works in a clinic uh, on this little plateau, very remote village area. Just, I, I, you'd have to call it the Spirit of Christ. Uh, very humble, very welcoming, very caring uh, people that set aside everything for others and really have a lot of opportunity and potential in themselves and give that all directly to God and the Tarahumara people, or in our case, us, if we were their visitors. I got to know a lot of people. Uh, I got to know myself a little bit better, and I got to know the Lord better as well. It was an adventure. It was uh, a test. It was a challenge, and I learned um, a lot about people and working together. And I, I really saw a lot of um, God's and in on many, so many activities. It's just, it's just great. I'm not grateful 
for the privilege, opportunity to uh, pursue him with, with friends. Wow, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know what? Thank you, all of you, for helping to make that possible. Thanks for the team that went. Thank you for all, all of you that made it possible. Thank you that you give to our budget here because we support actually two missionaries among the Tarahumara people, Eric and Sheena Kramer, uh, part of our own church family, and then a missionary on the field, uh, Beto Ramirez. So thank you for your support. You know, we need to pray for people to come to Christ among that uh, people group down there in Mexico. Now, for our remaining time, I want to share with you five simple principles from these two chapters. Here's the first. Every follower of Jesus has been sent. Every follower of Jesus has been sent. Some of you might be thinking, well, the Lord never sent me. I never heard his voice telling me to go anywhere. That's for other followers of Jesus. That's for you professional pastor types and missionary types. Listen, Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord has commanded all of us, all of us, to point people to Jesus who is not only a light for the Jewish people, but also a light for the Gentiles so that everybody can be saved. I claimed this verse 30 years ago for this church. And, and, and it goes like this, a little paraphrase. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a reflection of His light to northeast Ohio, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God is letting us fulfill this word. God is answering prayers that I prayed for this church 30 years ago. Some of you are saying, well, I never heard the voice of Jesus sending me. Listen, you don't need a voice if you have a verse. Because the verse itself is a voice. Jesus already said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And just before he ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28, 19, he says, as you are going into all the world, make disciples. See, the question is not whether we've been sent on mission. The question is where and how. You've been sent already. Where are you going to go? How are you going to go? Every follower of Jesus has been sent. Second, Sent people point people to Jesus. And yes, we're going to go do good deeds. We're going to be involved in building hospitals and housing for missionaries and teaching English as a second language, and we do all this without ulterior motives. But we've got an ultimate aim, and that is we want all people everywhere to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ without whom they will be lost in this life and in the life to come. So we do good deeds to create goodwill so we can share the good news. And if you never get to the good news about Jesus, if you're just constantly building a relationship with your neighbor and you never talk about Jesus, you're not really being faithful as his sent one. Just like Barnabas and Paul, they keep talking about Jesus, 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 so should we. Why is that? Buddha doesn't save. Muhammad doesn't save. Moses doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. Listen, Acts chapter 13, this is, this is the so what? Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, who? Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Sent people point people to Jesus. Sent people must expect and accept opposition. Remember 1422, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. If our fundamental aim with God is me plus Jesus equals safety, then we have misunderstood the gospel of Jesus. 
If you wanted to just add a little Jesus to your life so you can get more comfort, then you need to repent of making comfort an idol. Jesus called us first to follow him and to carry a cross. Sent people must expect and accept opposition. Number four, when we get sent, we get joy. Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Listen, what's the happiest place in the hospital? It's the nursery, the maternity ward. Why? Babies are being born. The happiest churches are churches where sent people share Christ and are seeing people born again. Listen, when we get sent, we get joy. And number five, through the gospel, God makes the unsendable sendable. Now, many of us have these self-defeating, self-loathing, sidelining tapes that play over and over again in our hearts and in our heads. We, we say things like, you know, I'm not sendable. You know, I never have been. I never will be. I might be savable, but I'm not sendable. I mean, look at Barnabas and Paul. I can't live up to their example because I'm a selfish, stingy, sinful, play it safe kind of guy. God could never send the likes of me. Look at where I've been and what I've done. He can only sit me on the bench. I'm not sendable. I might be sittable. I can sit in a church, but send me? Now listen, come on, admit it. You may not use these exact words, but this is the kind of way you talk to yourself about yourself. And God hasn't disqualified you. You've disqualified yourself because of your non-biblical self-condemnation. And so what I've done today is I've put together like a, I am sendable, I'm calling it affirmation. And it's taken from these gospel principles taught throughout the scriptures. And it's going to be on the screen here. So read this out loud with me. Would you do that? I admit that on my own merits, I am not sendable. But I have been made sendable by Christ. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, I am forgiven. I have been changed. I have died with Christ. In him I live. He is working in me. He has given me a life-changing message to share. So, here I am, Lord, send me. Listen, that's true for every follower of Christ. And if you don't believe that about yourself, you know, we've got like a little bookmark that's out in the foyer. You could pick that up on your way out today just to remind you of those truths. And it's got the scripture references that say that. Listen, the greatness of a church lies not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. It's not the size of the diamond that matters. It's the love in the heart, right? You can measure the love of a church's heart, uh, the love that's in a church's heart for Jesus, not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. As Pastor Larry Osborne says, the church that sends the most wins the most. The greatness of a church lies not in its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Now listen, I don't know why you're here today. Maybe you're here and you're going, I don't have a personal relationship with Christ. I just shared the three circles life conversation guide with a young man out in the foyer who came up to me and said, hey, a friend invited me here today. I've been in jail. I've been a soldier in Iran or Iraq. And can you explain a couple of things to me? Listen, maybe you're here today and you're like that guy. You don't get it. You don't understand it. But God's doing something in your life. And so today, maybe you need a relationship with Christ. And in, in your program, there's a prayer that you can pray. It's going to be on the screen. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
I have failed to be the honorable, reliable, trustworthy person you created me to be. I believe that God the Father sent you to save me. I believe you died on the cross in my place to pay for my sins so I could be forgiven, save me, change me, make me honorable and sendable like you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Maybe that's your prayer today, and that's why you're here. And if you feel that that's your prayer today, then pray it. And if you do, you know, you can check on this response card. I, you know, um, received Christ today. Put it in the offering basket. There's a card in front of you. You can use that card too. Or you can text, follow Jesus to a phone number, 448-827-2454. Some of you, you're here and you've been disqualifying yourself. You need to get this little bookmark and you need to read this to yourself over and over until you start to believe the gospel is true for you. Everybody here is sendable if you've been touched by Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you're saying, I just need to be more open. So I'm going to say, here am I, Lord, send me. It's not whether, it's, it's when, it's, 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 it's where, and it's, it's how. Today I want you to meet Emily Zion. She's been part of our church family here at CBC since seventh grade. <laughs> and um, she has been sent on a mission to the other side of the world. She's going to China in just a few weeks. So would you tell us what you're going to be doing there? Yeah, so China is a closed country, so um, I'm going as a teacher. But really, I'm there to share the gospel and spread the good news of Jesus to everyone that God places in my path. Yeah. Okay. So you could stay here. You had a good job at uh, Goodyear. <laughs> and uh, you could maybe meet a guy, get a big house, car, all that jazz. Yes. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. Um, I gave up my career and everything. But, you know... Um, this isn't just been a first, you know, I just decided overnight to go to China. This has been years of God just shaping my heart and putting, making my face stronger to be where I'm standing here today. I'm just an average person, but God, you know, why am I going? I love Jesus and Jesus loves Chinese people. Amen. Um, so, you know, they need to hear the word of God, so we must go. And ultimately, I desire those things. If you know any men, you can send them my way. <laughs> no, I desire those things, but I ultimately desire to sow seeds eternally over my own desires. So I pray for those things, but God's calling me regardless if I have them or not. So That's great. Well, yeah. we're really happy to send you in just a few weeks and to partner with you. And so would you pray for us as a church family that we will be an increasingly sending church? Yes. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for CBC, for being a light in Northeast Ohio, God. I just thank you for this sermon and for your words that um, we don't need a calling. You already told us that we we're supposed to go, God. I pray that everyone here who's struggling or not feeling worthy, God, that you will just strengthen them and give them the courage and the faith to believe that we have you in us, that through all things, we can do anything with Christ, God. We just thank you. I pray that this church will be ascending body into the mission world and that we can be a church that prays and encourages missionaries, but also we can be a church that is a missionary right here in Cleveland, Ohio. We thank you. We praise you for your, your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you thank Emily for sharing with us? Yeah. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs>